Well, is it art or mere entertainment? That's the subject of Dr. Hunter's ninth message in his series on personal temptation. From the New American Standard, Dr. Hunter's scripture text will be Mark chapter 6, verses 14 through 28. And King Herod heard of it, and his name had become well known, and people were saying, John the Baptist has risen from the dead, and that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others were saying, He is Elijah. And others were saying, He is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he kept saying, John, whom I beheaded, has risen. For Herod himself had sent, and had John arrested and bound in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him, and wanted to put him to death, and could not do so. For Herod was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and kept him safe. And when he heard of him, he was very perplexed, but he used to enjoy listening to him. And a strategic day came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his lords and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And when the daughter of Herodias herself came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you want, and I will give it to you. And he swore to her, Whatever you ask of me, I will give it to you, up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And immediately she came in haste before the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me right away the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And although the king was very sorry, yet because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests, he was unwilling to refuse her. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded him to bring back his head. And he went and had him beheaded in the prison, and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. And now let's join Dr. Hunter as he continues his series on personal temptation with his message, Art or Mere Entertainment. Those of you who have your scriptures with you, if you would turn with me to the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Mark. We will try to do what's never been done before in this room. Explain the difference between art and entertainment. We will first take a look at entertainment. The setting for this gospel, I'm sorry, for this part of the gospel, is that John the Baptist has been imprisoned by Herod because John has spoken out against the marriage of Herod to his sister-in-law, the brother of his wife, which was against the law at that time, whose name is Herodias. And Herodias is furious. Starting in verse 19, And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, and could not do so. Now, in the next verse, we learn why. It's a fascinating verse. Listen to this. For Herod was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and kept him safe. Now, isn't that an interesting response to someone you're afraid of? Kept him safe. Why? It tells us in the very next sentence. And when he heard him, he was very perplexed, but he used to enjoy listening to him. In the, in the original it, it, it means, uh, and he 
gladly heard him. Heard him gladly. So you see, there was a part of Herod that was drawn to what John had to say. There was a part of him that sensed that John had the truth, and he was fascinated by that, and he enjoyed listening to that. But there was another part of John that was drawn to the opposite dynamic, the dynamic of entertainment. And a strategic day came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his lords and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And when the daughter of Herodias herself came in and danced, and it was a very suggestive dance, this girl's name was Salome, very beautiful young girl, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests, and the king said to the girl, Ask for me whatever you want and I'll give it to you. And he swore to her, whatever you ask of me, I will give it to you up to half my kingdom. Now, whenever something is repeated twice in a row in Scripture, that just increases the intensity of it. So I want you to see what a frenzy John the Baptist is in. How he has been stimulated. Now look at the next sentence. It says, and she went out and asked her mother, what should I ask for? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And immediately she came in, haste before the king, and asked. Now, I want you to want to point out a little technical matter here. The Greek word, ateo, by this time is being used very commonly in a business sense. This is a business deal. I stimulate you, you pay me. This is on the level of prostitution. This is on the level of entertainment. You make me feel good, I'll give you what you want. I want you to give me right away the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And although the king was very sorry, yet because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests, he was unwilling to refuse her. Now picture this. Here's John the Baptist who is willing to preach to Herod the truth. And there is a part of Herod who wants to hear that, who is delighted to hear it, who is so drawn that the very man he fears, he keeps safe so that he can hear it. But because of entertainment, because of this dynamic of being trapped in stimulation, he sacrifices the very resource of his life that would complete his life and give him true joy. What is the difference between art and entertainment? Augustine said that art as a symbol is that which beyond its immediate impact on your senses brings to something, something else to your mind as a consequence of itself. Therefore, art is that which takes you beyond itself. It is a window to other things, deeper things, more wonderful things. Entertainment, in the opposite fashion, is that which stops you from going beyond itself, does not let you think beyond itself. In other words, entertainment is that which makes you reside in it and go no further. Art can take you to wonderful worlds beyond 
The best entertainment can do is like a bad burrito, repeat itself without nearly the original satisfaction. It reminds you of itself in a most uninvited way. The reason that I want to talk to you in this series of personal temptation about entertainment is because I think that this country has a major problem with entertainment. I think the church has a major problem with entertainment. Let me tell you why. God gave us two ways to interact with the world, two ways to perceive the world. Those two ways are mirrored in the hemispheres of your brain. It is no surprise to you that one half of your brain is more active when you think logically and another half of your brain is more active when you are creative. Therefore, we have the analytical and the emotive as two halves of the brain that were given to us to work together. Now, let me ask you a question. If you were Satan and you wanted to destroy a people, you wanted to destroy a society, and you knew that God's plan for that society was for them to think and feel through every issue and to perceive in a coordinated fashion, which is the definition of art, it is the combination of thinking and feeling, and you knew that it was God's plan to do that, what would you do? You would do exactly what's happening in our culture today. You would develop those two separate hemispheres apart from each other. I tell you that the twin fascinations of this society are, number one, the technological advancement of our society, by which the analytical portion of our society has shut out all judgment, all morals, all heart, and said, look, let's learn how to make this thing. If we can make it, let's do it. Let's not figure out whether or not we need it. Let's not figure out whether or not we want it or whether or not it's good. If we can do it, we'll do it. Let's continue to discover and build up that side of society so that we can control society. I'm telling you, this is Genesis. The Tower of Babel. If we can do it, let's do it. At the same time, there's another element of society that says, I don't want to think, I just want to feel. I just want something to make me feel good. This is the entertainment side that says, don't tell me to think through stuff. i got to think all day long. I just want to relax. You know, the church is growing up in the same divided manner. There are churches who are very formal, very logical, absolutely no heart. Absolutely no heart. You know, Jesus found that when he came with the Pharisees. We sang about it this morning. The song we sang was in Luke chapter 7, verse 32. He looked at the Pharisees and he said, What should I like in this generation? You are like children. Now, children ought to feel. They ought to be able to to have a sense of excitement and joy. He says, no, you're not like other children. You're like children playing in the marketplace. We piped for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge for you and you did not mourn. In other words, there's no life there. 
And in like manner, there are churches that just go through the motions spiritually, dead as a doornail. They have developed analytically, but with no heart. And on the opposite extreme, some of the fastest growing churches today are the ones that make you feel the most. Feel the best, feel the worst, feel anything. They are absolutely a ridiculous parody of what any thinking person would go to. But you see people say, oh, let me laugh, let me cry, let me just let me feel. Now, God says, look, I want you to become the kind of people that think and feel together. That's maturity. Now, how does the church relate to the kind of society that's being brought up? Well, we're going to stay over here on the entertainment side today. What the church has done is it has fooled itself into thinking that what it is watching is not the same as what it is. I hear Christians all the time gripe about the violence that's on TV, about the sex that's on TV, about all the garbage that's on TV, and we watch it. You know that? And we watch it in a way that thinks, this doesn't hurt anything, that's not me. That's not who I am. You know what it puts me in mind of? I don't know whether you've ever read The Picture of Dorian Gray. But there's a classic fantasy novel in which a young, handsome man has a picture painted of him. It's a wonderful picture. And he sees the beauty of this picture. At the same time, he becomes very melancholic because a tempter explains to him that it's too bad that he will grow old and wrinkled while that picture will always stay beautiful. And in a moment, Dorian Gray wishes that that picture would be the one to change and he would always stay the same. Somehow in this novel, that's exactly what happens. And Dorian Gray becomes very tempted and begins to lead a degenerate life. And every day he comes back And he looks at that picture, and every day the figure in the picture becomes older and more vile and more repulsive, but he himself stays handsome. And throughout this novel, you see the the denigration that is mirrored in this media, while the person himself pretends to still be handsome. At the end of the novel, he regrets so much the emptiness of his life and the horrid way he's lived. And what he has as a reminder is that horrid picture. And so he takes a knife and he rips that picture and there's this awful scream because he himself has died. Do you know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of the American public who thinks that the media is getting worse and worse, but they're staying the same. That movies are getting awful. But it doesn't reflect who we are. Do you know, let's just take violence, for example. Do you know that on HBO, for example, there are 14 violent acts per hour. On MTV, there are 11 violent acts per hour. CBS, 10 violent acts per hour. On NBC, only two. Do you know that the leading cause of injury to women 
between the ages of 15 and 44 in this country is violence. But yet, we want to say, no, that's just the entertainment industry. That's not us. Listen. We can't go on being trapped by that which stops our thinking. Amusement literally means not to think. Ah is the prefix that means without. Muse means to think. Amuse means without thought. And we spend our time with things that make us stop short of thinking through the important issues of life. And by doing so, we are trapped within them, very shallow people. Now, I'm about to go on to the next part of this sermon, the second half of this sermon, which leads you to a comparison to the wonderful world that God has given us to look through, the world of art. But I realize, even as I do that, there are going to be some of you who just stop here because you don't want to go into the next level of maturity, which is okay. So just let me stop this particular sermon that you could hear in practically any church with this admonition that makes it very plain so that you cannot mistake the message of the first part of this sermon. Quit watching crap. You understand? Quit it. It is ruining you. And you still, because you're here, have not thrown out John the Baptist. You have not thrown away that message. Don't get so stirred up with the entertainment that you do. Now let me go on to the second part of this. And like I said, the second part of this message is in our line of going on with maturity. This is not something that you'll hear in many churches. Very few in the country will ever preach this to you, but, but I want to because I believe it's a... It's a matter of maturity. I realize at the very beginning of this, some of you just don't want to go on. I mean, you just don't want to hear it. I, this, this week I read the definition of an optimist. I love this definition. Listen to this. De- de- definition of an optimist. An accordion player with a beeper. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> I kind of feel like an accordion player with a beeper here. You may not want to hear this, but... This is why it's so important for Christians to be able to think through how the world is constructed and think through the issues of the time. John Marks Templeton has just come out at editing a book called uh, Looking Forward, and it's about the next 40 years in this culture. And he has gone uh, to all the resident experts and asked them to write tracks on what's going to happen in the next 40 years in the various disciplines. Uh, physical sciences and environmental sciences and so on and so forth. At the beginning of the book, he says this. We are now an information society that has its emphasis on those who can get the information to us. In other words, the media. But soon, he says, the power will shift from those who convey the information to those who can analyze and gain insight from the information. Church, that's our job. God is showing us a world 
that he wants us to look through, think through, and to see his image in so that we can help it make sense to everyone else. We are going to become even a more confused society as we get more information unless we teach people to think and to read the world. Then they will be lost and the church will miss a wonderful opportunity. So here's our opportunity to become mature. And the opportunity is this, to realize that God gave us a world and a book to look through. Just as art teaches us to look through. Turn to uh, the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians with me. Let me show you something. This is about maturity. It's about love. It's about the heart. But halfway down in this famous passage, he begins to talk about how people mature. Verse 9. For we know in part... And we prophesy in part. He's just talking about today and how we we haven't got to, to heaven yet, so we just see things partially. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. He's talking about heaven, but he's also talking about a mature vision of how someday we'll know everything. Now look at what he says. When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, and reason as a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. Now, this is how you become a man. For now, we see in a mirror dimly. The Greek, the word is, the, the uh, in is, is dia, and it means through. And it's, it's through a glass, darkly, or through a, listen to this, riddle. What the world looks at and says, what in the world is this? Christians are expected to see through this riddle. To the truth of God. That's what he wants from us. He says, Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, just as I also have been fully known. How do you begin to become an artist? How do you begin to look at the world as art? First, you've got to realize that the book is written in art. The world is written in art. Phillips Brooks said, The Bible is like a telescope. He said, if you look through a telescope, you can discover worlds unknown. If you look at a telescope, all you see is a telescope. I know a whole lot of Christians that haven't grown up that just keep looking at the Bible. The Bible was given to us to look through. It's a window. It's art. You know, 50% of the Bible is written in poetry. Do you realize that Jesus could have come down? He's intelligent enough to do this. And given us seven or ten biblical principles to live, how to live by Jesus, ten biblical principles. But he didn't. He spoke in parables, just as they did in the Old Testament, spoke in narratives. He told us stories. Why? Why didn't he just give us, like Joe Friday says, just the facts, ma'am? You know, why didn't he give us that? Why didn't he just come down and tell us? Why why didn't he mess around? Why did he come down and instead of, of telling us the answer, say stuff like, Consider the lilies of the field. How they neither toil nor spin. Yet Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed as one of these. If God takes care of the flowers that grow one day and the next day are thrown into the fire, how much more will he take care of you? Why didn't Jesus say, quit condemning each other? 
Instead of saying, you know what? If you're trying to get a speck out of your brother's eye, you probably ought to take a look at the log in yours. What a picture. Why did he talk in pictures? Because he wanted to teach us to look through circumstances. He wanted to teach us to think beyond what we were presented immediately to our senses. And he wants us that to, to do that today to the books we see and the movies we see. If you just went and read Jurassic Park, you could do it on two levels. You could say, boy, dinosaurs really scare me. That gave me a good old charge. Or you could think through to the theme of man's absolute arrogance thinking he can control the world or control the life that only God can give. If you read the book The Firm or saw the movie, that, that theme is just the opposite. It doesn't talk about man's control. It talks about that which controls man. And the various institutions that have control of our life, you know what that book is? It's Romans 6. It's saying, look, you can yield your members to sin, or you can yield your members to righteousness. You gotta choose who you're gonna serve. You can't choose choose whether or not you're, whether or not you're gonna serve. You just gotta choose who you're gonna serve. That's Romans 6. Most popular literature has a depth to it because that's why it's so popular. People are drawn to things larger than themselves. Our job as Christians is to think through those and to see the face of God. You know what? Emily, Emily Dickinson wrote, all circumstances are the frame for his face. All circumstances are the frame for his face. God wants us to see how he's written the Bible, to see how he's written the world. The world is written in art. Talk to a mathematician. Mathematical symbols, if you know how to think through those symbols can tell you how the universe operates. Fractal geometry is absolutely gorgeous when it's charted. And fractal geometry is simply tracing the non-pattern of chaos. And when you look back, when you step back and you look at it as a whole, it's absolutely gorgeous. The world has been built as art. Do you know why? If you're in terrible pain, doctors will give you morphine because a molecule of morphine happens to match exactly, almost exactly, the structure of a pain reliever, one of the pain relievers your natural body emits. Encephalons, not not, uh, endorphins, encephalons. And because your body literally sees, literally reads the shape of that drug, it relaxes from its pain. We are made in art. The quantum physics, quantum physicists, half of them, or not half of them, but a good portion of them, believe not in the Einsteinian, Newtonian realm of objective reality. They believe that it's so important to observe reality. I'm talking about Bohr, and von Neumann and Heisenberg and others, they believe it's so important to observe reality that unless you observe reality, 
There isn't such a thing as reality. Now, we don't believe that. But we certainly ought to pick up the importance of what they're saying. They're saying that our observation molds the way the world turns out. And Christians believe the same thing. We can contribute to the way God is developing the world by our observation. That's why God spoke to us like he did. How does that come out in real life? This is how it comes out. Everything that confronts your mind, you say, God, give me a vision here I can't have through my natural mind. The Bible very clearly states that only spirit can apprehend spirit. And so only God can teach you how he's literally made the world and give you a frame of how he's operating in the world. A frame to see his face. And it's very important that you begin to work hard to think through things. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that I just look at these scriptures and sermons just come to me? I spend hours and hours and hours thinking and rethinking and rethinking. Beck can tell you, I'm miserable to live with when a sermon's got a hold of me. It's like, it's like I know God is speaking here and I can't get it the first time or even the hundredth time. I've got to think it through that many times before I can come to you and say something to you that may not even ring a bell with my words, but the Holy Spirit brings to your mind what He wants to. That's how God works. And I want to say it's the same way with you. You've got to think through these issues long enough to hear God on these things. And when you do that, you'll find some very startling things. You'll begin to see him everywhere. I got a letter the other day from a, from a brother who's been away from the Lord. And boy, he went away. I mean, he went away. And he led a life that was empty. I mean, he just he was miserable during the time. And he knew he was miserable. And he heard just enough about the grace of God and how, about how we all need the grace of God to know, like the prodigal son knew, that if he came back, he'd be welcome. And he came back. And he's welcome. We're so glad to see him back. So anyhow, he came in and talked to me. And I said, brother, I'm so glad to see you back. He was trying to clear up some stuff, you know said, I'm so glad to see you back. Next day, I got a letter from him. Um, or two days later, I got a letter from him. said, man, I'm glad for our conversation. He said, you know what? I was going down the street the other day. And he said, I saw one of those birds. You know, I was driving past a lake. I saw one of those birds that only has its neck sticking out of the water. He calls them snake birds. Somebody tried to tell me what they were, and I couldn't pronounce the name, so we'll just call them snake birds. They just have their neck sticking out of the water, and they're going around looking for food. But every once in a while, they climb out, don't they? And you know what they do? They climb up, and they spread their wings, and they stay there in the sun. He said, I was driving down the street, and I saw one of those snake birds. They're standing on a rock, just looking up into the sun, and he said, boy, God just put in my mind, that's you. You've been in it up to your neck. And now you're back, standing on the rock, looking up at the sun. See? That's art. 
That's what God does with your mind when you give it to Him. Say, God, help me to see the world like it is. Jesus was like, I'm going to, I'm going to end with this. I, I, I could go on, as you will know, a long time. But look in uh, Luke chapter 21 with me. Let me show you how Jesus was. When he looked at people, he didn't just see people. He saw hearts. Verse 1, And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a certain poor widow putting in two small copper coins. Now anybody else looking at that would just notice a bunch of people giving. Not Jesus. And he said, truly I say to you, this poor widow, he pointed her out, this poor widow put in more than all of them. For they, out of their surplus, put into the offering. Now he wasn't putting them down. He was just talking about the proportion. He said she put in more. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Now let me ask two questions and then I'll pray us out of here. First of all, what kind of heart is it that can look past behavior and see into somebody's life and appreciate them way beyond what they're doing for their behavior and in their behavior? That's the heart of an artist. They see through what is surface and they plant their attention on what's inside. That was Jesus' heart. How many of you would love to be able to see beyond the behavior of your children, the behavior of your spouses, the behavior of your friends, and say, oh God, but I appreciate their heart. That's the heart of an artist. Second question. What kind of heart is it that doesn't consider or doesn't make their whole consideration how I'm going to live tomorrow? What about that woman? That widow that didn't know how she was going to live tomorrow, all she knew was she wanted to give to God like God gave to her. That's the heart of an artist who thinks and feels at one. Who says, God, I just want to give like you gave, no matter what the cost. That is an artist's heart. Would you like that heart? Would you love to have that kind of insight? It's available to you if you're a Christian. If you let God grow you up. But if not, at least quit watching crap. Pray with me. God, there may be some folks in here this morning that are so frustrated because they've lived their life apart, of, apart from you and they know they have no earthly resource to change their life. They want to have you in their life. Let them right now say, God, I'm tired of this. It's empty. It's lonely. And I can't seem to control my behavior I've sinned. I have no right to come to you. 
I throw myself on the mercy of the court and accept the forgiveness only Jesus can win for me. And I thank you for it. Come into my heart and teach me how to think and love at the same time. And the rest of us, Lord God, that have prayed that prayer but want to go on to maturity, teach us how to think and love at the same time. How to be the artists of the world so that others through our lives can learn how to put the world together. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand for the benediction. May the saving grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be in your mind and in your comprehension. Be in your heart and in your emotions. Be in your hands and in your behavior till he comes again. The service is ended. Go in peace.